to Teaching Channel Talks. I'm Wendy Amato, your host, and as often as I can, I like to talk to people about things that really matter in education. Today's topic is right at the top of my priorities. It's really about caring for the students, the teachers, the whole learning community. It's not about content, subject, areas, assessment. It's about the lives we live in education. My guest is Sheila Andreen. She's film director and CEO of Impactful. Sheila, welcome. Thank you for having me, Wendy. You've done so much work in schools. You have your finger on the pulse of the things that matter. Talk to me about how you've prioritized your work and your projects. Oh boy, what a great question. Um, you know, it's interesting. I get asked that a lot. Like, how do you pick the topics, right? How do you pick the people? Mm -hmm. And I, <clears throat> first and foremost, go for things that are, are interesting to me that I'm curious about that I don't know anything about, and yet I'm hearing confusion around me on these topics. Angst, for instance, which is our first film in the mental health collection uh, of mental health literacy films that we've put together. I had a friend who said, you know, you take movies out into schools, whether it's about bullying or empowerment or screen addiction, you need to make one about mental health. And I was like, I wouldn't know how to do that. I don't know anything about it. I wouldn't even know how, I don't think anybody would wanna talk about that in a, in a group setting, right? It was more like cuckoo's nest for me. I didn't, the stigma was very much real for me. And she kept asking me to make a movie about mental health and take it into schools. And I kept saying no. And then I got a call one morning that she had died by suicide uh -huh. and, left her two teenage daughters and her husband. And I knew she was struggling, but I didn't know it was that bad. So I dove in, made angst. And, you know, for six months, people didn't want to watch it. They were afraid if they brought it into their communities and opened it up, they didn't have the resources to support the community. And I couldn't answer whether it was going to do that or not. But then slowly schools started to bring it in and screen it and use the companion materials. And it was almost the data that we got was that it was almost like a, um, a collective sigh of relief that it was had a therapeutic effect on the entire community. And then we started to learn around the kind of haloed out into the uh, surrounding community. So um, we're now actually doing case studies to share with other communities how schools have been impacted by our work. And doing angst just then led to, you know, when we were filming that, why are why is anxiety so high? Why is our mental health being so impacted? What's going on? We think it's technology. We think it's social media. So I thought, well, that's interesting. So then I made like, and everyone was willing to talk about like, right? Everyone could share about their, their experience with social media and the addictive design uh, behind that. So, and then of course, in making like, why are people so mean online when, when they wouldn't be that way in person? Is it really just the anonymity? What's this mob mentality ganging up on people when you normally would never do that in person? So then we made the upstanders, which I thought was about bullying and it really became about belonging. Mm -hmm. And then the last one, Race to be Human, came up during COVID, you know, with George Floyd, Breonna Taylor, Black Lives Matter, and people said, make a movie about race and racism. And I just, again, it was like angst all over again. Uh-uh, I don't know how to do that. But I was listening in the world differently. 
making race to be human was is really about our words and how can we have productive conversations that bring us together instead of dividing us. I haven't heard you talk about the sequence of the films this way. Uh, some people may look at the offerings and feel like you were working to address pressing issues and you are, but each film really led into the next one in such a purposeful way, you had to continue. And uh, it makes me curious to think about what's coming next. Is there anything yeah. you want to preview? <laughs> well, so yes, and it, it's, I mean, I, I'm not that person that goes, oh, this is important. Let's talk about it. It's really organic. I'm a listener. As much as I talk so much, my husband's always like, God, you talk a lot. <laughs> I actually am always listening and feeling what others are feeling. Mm -hmm. And it has come up a lot, you know, learning, making race to be human, you learn about, and while this movie is not about voter disparity or healthcare disparity or food desert, but what has come up is systemic racism. I learned about that. That's not really in race to be human. It really is about words. It's about how to have productive conversations, but it brought up a lot of curiosity in me about how can we as individuals address certain aspects of our life that directly impacts our mental health. And money is one of them. I felt like money would be a great movie to make that well, it's a whole program that addresses how it impacts our mental health, how it impacts our self-esteem, how it impacts our relationships. And I want to also create a financial literacy program because only seven states currently have a mandate in our country that you must take a, a financial literacy course to graduate high school. So when you think that it's just parents sort of passing along their own sort of learning around money, and they're thinking the schools are teaching it and the schools are teaching, thinking that the parents are teaching it. The kids are, it's, it's a disservice to the next generation. There's a void for sure. And then I'm making another one at the same time because I'm trying to be efficient. Um, it's basically health 101, which is addressing the five verticals from the World Health Organization, sleep, nutrition, movement, stress and mindfulness, and human sexuality education. And I had no idea how important sleep was. No idea. Even Paul Rudd said when he was training for Ant-Man and they asked him like, what's, what's your workout routine and what do you do? And he goes, sleep. Number one, most important thing besides what you eat in the workouts, it's sleep. Um, so anyway, I'm excited to uh, put those programs together and, and share them with the world. When you talk about your films, you always mention companion resources or programs or um, ways to go beyond the film itself. Talk to me about why that's important. Well, it's important. Well, it's what people asked for. Like, I trust me, I'm not trying to do more work. I, I, <laughs> I'm, um, I'm impatient. I have a short attention span and I like to, you know, get things done and out the door, but the people, educators, parents, mental health experts, even students have shared with us what they wish we offered in addition to the films, like not just watch the movie, but have a conversation, the materials to help promote an event, the, the take the movie and cut it up into little chapters so it can be watched in classrooms with reflections and discussion guides and prompts 
Can you do the same thing for at home since the program is shared with families at home? It's not just an in-classroom program. So it has grown into what we call the Creative Coping Toolkit. Without trivializing mental health, my goal was to gamify talking about our feelings. And when we can do that and we can learn to communicate with our families and with our friends and other people about how we're feeling, we can start to be operating more on the preventative side upstream rather than holding it all in, thinking that we're broken, something's wrong. If they knew, then everyone would know that I'm different or broken. And and then it just percolates, right? And, And festers. So getting people to talk about it like you would a headache or a toothache or my, my finger hurts, right? Like normalizing the conversation about mental health, I think will help us get support and the help we need. So the Creative Coping Toolkit is for educators, students, their families, educators, the, the staff and their families, like the entire ecosystem. In fact, angst, the angst edition of the toolkit is available to every public school in the state of California for three years. We worked with the Department of Ed, and Cal Hope Schools, and we made that available. We've delivered to over 6,000 campuses of the 10,000 plus, but it's about the engagement. How do we keep them using it? How do we, how do we get them to explore it? Well, for me, because we all know educators are so taxed. They're so busy. They have such a huge responsibility. We got to make it fun. One of the things that has always impressed me about your work is your attentiveness to the different populations that connect and meeting them with resources that are right for them. A family, a student, a teacher, a school leader, an administrator, everyone comes to the topics with a different scope of of, uh, influence, different sphere of influence and a different scope of responsibility. And you're thoughtful about that. Well, yeah, it's funny. First of all, well, thank you. And that has not had anything to do with me. That is everybody who takes the time to share with us what they need. And they say, and, and you know, when you see those consistencies of demand, we have no choice but to make it. I appreciate that you've talked about your own learning and your own growth through each of the projects. Is project the right word? Yeah, project, program, endeavor. <laughs> I, I feel like you you have modeled for others that. Even you, even Sheila Andreen has a learning curve coming into a program or project where you've said you're not the expert at the beginning, although I'd say you're pretty, pretty close now, uh, but, but you, you're willing to go through the work to evolve and to provide for others around you. We don't do it for ourselves, then, then we can at least learn from you that we do this for the people around us. Yeah, I, it's interesting diving into topics I know nothing about mm-hmm. is really scary, but the things I learned, like I learned in making angst that I have, I'm textbook social anxiety. I didn't know that. I thought I was just a little bit less than everyone else. I thought I was a little bit broken and God forbid, I would never tell anybody because then everyone would know and I'd be totally ousted. But when I realized that I'm literally, I mean, I can't figure out what to wear when I have to go to an event, right? I, in fact, I've not gone to events because I don't know what I would wear. Mm-hmm. Let's think about that. That's so silly, right? Like, um, and my, I have a, I have all these wonderful hacks. Like 
when I go somewhere where a social event, my deal that I make with myself is all you have to do is show up. And some people say, talk to three people. Well, that would be too terrifying for me. <laughs> Just I, go to the, I get something to eat, something to drink, and I go to the bathroom and then I can leave. And anyone I talk to in that process, whether they're just standing in line at the bathroom, which is by the way, where I've met the most interesting people. Um, I always end up staying way longer than, you know, 15 minutes, but that's my goal. And that's what I do every single time. Um, I, I'm big on tapping. I do EMDR. So I've learned tools in making these films. And I've met people who look me in the eye and say, you're not broken. And I'm not afraid now to ask stupid questions. And I know everyone says there's no stupid questions, but I always feel like every question I ask is going to look like I'm stupid. Um, I was at a conference and I wanted to ask a question and I kept kind of raising my hand and not getting called on. And they're like, all right, you over there, you had a question. Last one, quick, wrap it up. And I'm like, I couldn't even remember the question. Um, and so, you know, like, and then I thought, why am I even doing this to myself? I should just zip it. Someone else will ask the question and I'll get the answer. But I push myself, not every time, but um, yeah, I have to do meditation, breathing, snapping. I kind of have my whole, uh, you know, toolkit <laughs> of my own. Thank you for modeling for others. And, and thank you for your honesty. You, you create a space where people can open up a bit. I'd love to talk about um, being non-white in America right now. And, and uh, even in, as we look at the film Race to be Human and find the language to share about ourselves or ask questions about others, you've changed conversations for a lot of people. Is that a personal? Um, well, I didn't even know what to expect in making that film. Honestly, I kind of just wanted to get clarity for myself so that, um, of course, now that I've made it, everyone's like, oh, you're the expert on this. I'm like, actually, I'm not. I, I don't really, I know there's certain, like words are so important. I actually banned two words from my own vocabulary which is try and can't, but I don't try to lose weight. I don't try to save money. I don't try to make it somewhere. I can say the sentence again without the word try in it. It's changed my life. Mm -hmm. Don't say can't. Oh, I can't. Because I felt like a victim. So now I say, oh, thanks for inviting me. I'm going to stay home and I've got things I want to work on. So it's empowering. So when I think about the power of words, the vibration, the frequency, the sound, whether we're saying it for ourselves or for someone else, our words create worlds. And I think that was one of the biggest things I learned with race to be human. People ask me now, well, what can I say if I want to ask someone what they're, where they're from? Because I can't say that anymore, right? And my first thing is, well, first make sure, like, don't just go up to a stranger and say, what's your ethnicity, right? Like, you can talk about the weather, you can talk about, you know, like something late, the latest thing in, in, the news, even though I said don't watch as much news. Um, but there are other things you can talk about and just connect as human beings. And then you can say, you know, what is your ethnicity? And if you come from a place of love and curiosity, that energy, it doesn't matter actually the words you use, that energy is translated. And that's what they pick up on. But what's your ethnicity is kind of a general, easy, acceptable Thing. It's just the timing of it. So that has been helpful. And I've shared that with a lot of people who are like, okay, great. I have my first tool. I can use that anywhere I go. And I say, yes, but don't make that the first thing out of your mouth. Like, hi, I'm so-and-so. What's your ethnicity? Talk about other things first. See them as a human being. And I think people ask a lot about microaggressions. I did not know what microaggressions were, even though I grew up 
with a lifetime of microaggressions. In fact, I still, I'm so hyper aware of them now. Mm -hmm. And I'm aware of my own words. Like I'll say to my team, okay, well, let's powwow about that. And then I'm thinking, can we say powwow? I don't know if we can. I meant it in a good way. And I'm analyzing everything I'm saying, right? You can't say low man on the totem pole. You can't say, like, there's so many things, master bedroom, master bath, right? Like we're starting, I love, it's kind of fun actually, seeing how we've just, it's just been ingrained in us. And then having that awareness to change it, um, I think will make a big difference. We could probably start a long, uh, <laughs> a long list of things for people to, to, to sit and think about how they use words and phrases as though it's just air we breathe and uh, with so little awareness and zero reflection. I don't think that people are out there trying to bring harm. <laughs> yes, there are people who, yes, I'm not naive. But I think in general, the average person is kind of, and here I am generalizing, um, they just don't know, they don't realize. I've been on the receiving end of, of questions and just as you're describing, timing really does matter. Yeah. And making a connection first, is that should be baseline for all things. Yes, and I think what I've learned through all of my programs, my films, is the most important connection you can make is that with yourself. When we see things in the world, like when I made The Upstanders, um, I, I realized that we are all bullies. And I was thinking, I'm not a bully. I was the kid locked in a cupboard in a classroom for an entire afternoon. I was bullied for being Chinese in an all white community. But then I realized I look in the mirror and the things I say to myself, I would never say to another person. And I mean, I remember going, I wrote a book called The Creative Coping Toolkit and I was going on the news to promote it. And the first thing I said to myself that morning was, you did not get enough sleep. You didn't drink enough water. What are you going to wear? Like you should have prepared more. Like I just started beating myself up. I would never do that to another human being. So I stopped myself and I thought, what would I say? You're going to do great. How fortunate that you get to go somewhere and talk about something you made that you want to share with people that could help. And training ourselves to be kind to ourselves first, to model how we want to be treated and to model for others how they should treat themselves so we know how to treat them. I think that's where we start. I'm going to bounce back to where I was talking about you as a busy person and clarify that you can be busy and still focused. That's very different from being busy in a frenetic way or bouncing around and no, no priorities. You work with purpose. You produce with direction. Your priorities seem so um, community centered. It's, it's really, um, a significant thing that you're bringing to, I'll say school communities because that's that's where we go first, but really the community. I'm, I'm grateful. Oh, thank you. I, I really appreciate that. That's, I realized my life's purpose about five years ago. Um, before it was always like, what do I wanna do with my time? Where do I wanna like devote this or that? And I realized that in order to think about what that is, I had to understand why I was here. And I really wanted to know why am I here? I am very clear on that now. My 
purpose in life is to let people know they matter and to let people know they belong. I think that's something I wanted my whole life because I always felt like I didn't belong. I was broken. I, I wanted to be invisible. I didn't want to even matter. I wanted to be not noticed. Now, I don't think about that so much, but I know the feeling when you are seen, when you are included genuinely, and you do feel a sense of belonging or, or that you're valued in some way, that is what I would love to help provide for other people is a way for them to have that feeling. To my fellow educators, I hope that you hear Sheila Andreen when she says that her purpose is to help people know that they matter, that they belong. I hope you feel a little bit more called to your profession and that you're hearing some pathways that you can follow to bring positive change to your community. Please check out the show notes below at teachingchannel.com slash podcast to explore the resources that Sheila and I have uh, explored in our conversation today. Whatever podcast listening app you're using, please be sure to like and follow so more educators can join the conversation. 